The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Rachel McNair with Better Ballot KC briefly explains ranked choice voting and what you can do to bring it to Kansas City, Missouri. For a quick intro or review to ranked choice voting, right now you vote for one person and then you're done. You care about the other candidates, some of them you like, some of them you can't stand. It doesn't matter. You're not disenfranchised because you did vote for the first one, but you're disenfranchised on the rest of the candidates. And and you solve that problem with ranked choice voting because you then say, here's my first choice. This candidate's my second choice. This candidate's my third choice. Now, if your first choice doesn't make it, then it, the vote transfers over to the second choice in the next round and so on until in the final round somebody has a majority and nobody can win without majority support. You can't have the situation now where you have, you know, somebody winning with a quarter, a third of the uh, of the vote, even if the majority's against them. I mean, that, that happens. There are... Uh, a whole lot of reasons why ranked choice voting means voters have more choice, greater democracy. Now, a lot of the KKFI listeners uh, signed our petition to get ranked choice voting for uh, mayor and city council races in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, some of them helped us uh, circulate it. And we were told how many signatures we were going to need to get, and we got them. And then they decided, no, we needed way, way, way more signatures than than we uh, had gotten because the Missouri Constitution uh, says so. And so we said, OK, look, we did do the signatures. The point was to let city council know that the citizenry wants to vote on it. Uh, we want to decide whether or not to have ranked choice voting. And, you know, at first they thought, oh, this is a weird idea nobody's ever heard of before. Well, loads of people have heard of it now. So they will um, want to, to vote on it. The petition drive said so. Also, during the Charter Review Commission, we had we dominated the listening sessions. Uh, there were loads of us uh, getting up and explaining why we wanted to be able to vote on ranked choice voting. Now, this is a city charter change. That's why the, the voters have to vote on it. The council wouldn't ever decide whether we're using it. They'd only decide whether we're voting on it. And uh, um, it's been a year and a half. I mean, we turned those signatures in April of 2022. So right now we really need... Uh, people who uh, care about this to call their city council members, leave a voicemail, call when they're uh, their aides, uh, send emails, do whatever you can to communicate to them because it's a new council now. Of course, they, uh, seven out of the uh, 12 members don't even, uh, you know, weren't there when the petition drive came in. Therefore, we need to communicate to them that this is not something that they should procrastinate on. It's already been procrastinated badly. 
that's been over a year now that we citizens have had the sense that city council just didn't listen. And now we want them to listen. And they don't need to even decide that they're in favor of ranked choice voting. Uh, uh, most of them are. We've talked to them. Uh, at least they tell us that they are. But it's not, the decision is not theirs to make. It's the citizens to make in a vote. And they shouldn't be depriving us of our chance to vote on it because we've earned it. We've made it clear to them that we want it. And uh, I ask people who care about this to please communicate to your city council members in Kansas City, Missouri, that, th that they should pay attention to getting this on the ballot quickly because so much time has already passed since the petitions were turned in. Residents of Kansas City, Missouri can identify their city council members by searching for Kansas City, Missouri City Council. When I did this a few minutes ago, the first match was for our website with contact information for the mayor and the city council, plus answers to, quote, who is my council member? What is my district, end quote? In a few minutes, I sent brief emails to the mayor and the council member for my district, plus all six at-large KCMO council members. Welcome to Radioactive Magazine. Tonight, uh, host Chris Mann will interview Bert Knorr, who is a or Bert Knorr, who is a co-chair of the Peace in Ukraine Coalition. Chris, well, thanks, Spencer. And uh, the reason we wanted to interview Bert and Bert, thank you for being here, um, is that there are people in Kansas City. Uh, that feel the weapons going to Ukraine need to stop fueling the war there, and we must uh, be negotiations and diplomacy must uh, start to be used uh, with the issues surrounding the Ukraine and Russian war. So, Bert. Uh, thank you for coming on such short notice, and I think we contacted you a couple of days ago. And um, tell us about yourself and a little bit about the Peace in Ukraine Coalition that has formed. Okay, first of all, thanks for inviting me, and I appreciate the fact that there are people in the Kansas City area that are concerned about the war and, and yeah. uh, the cause of peace. Uh, so first of all, I'm uh, a longtime anti-war activist. Uh, I got involved initially during the Vietnam War when I was uh, facing the draft, actually, along with uh, millions of other uh, American young, young Americans at that time. And my anti-war efforts were pretty concentrated around the Vietnam War, the Iraq War, and now most recently the war in Ukraine, although I've also been active around the war in Yemen and, and uh, other, other issues. Uh, and um, uh, Peace in Ukraine Coalition was formed shortly after the Russian invasion. Uh, it was initiated by Code Pink. I'm sure people are familiar with Code Pink. And there are uh, over, uh, there's probably upwards of uh, close to 100 different organizations that are part of the coalition. 
the main national organizations that you may be familiar with are Code Pink, Veterans for Peace, um, Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, Beyond War, and the DSA International Committee. And I happen to be a member of the DSA International Committee. That's the Democratic Socialists of America. So uh, we formed back then. We've been having um, regular meetings uh, uh, around the war. We have a group of between, uh, we have probably over 700 people on our mailing list. We have a group of between 40 and 80 or 90 people that have been regularly coming to our meetings. And we've had a number of rounds of action uh, over the uh, year and a half, as well as uh, various initiatives, uh, uh, petitions to Congress, uh, and so on. Uh, and lately, well, we're going to transition into talking about the global days of action, because that's the biggest thing that we will have done since the war began. So, um <clears throat> In 1918, uh, U.S. Senator Har Haram Johnson said the first casualty when war begins is the truth. What are some of the truths about the Ukraine war that, that have sort of come out as the war goes on? What are some of the things? Well, yeah. Well, I, I started from the standpoint of lies because I think that's what you mentioned in your notes. <laughs> I started to think about, well, uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> and and, and uh, are we talking about big, big lies or little lies? Because there's definitely some big lies and a whole lot of little lies. And the first one, and probably the most major one, that we hear over and over and over again is that the war was unprovoked. It's kind of like uh, Vladimir Putin woke up one day and decided to uh, invade Ukraine for some reason without any context leading up to it. Uh, and I think that if, if, if you study uh, or read a number of books and articles, Jeffrey Sachs is very good. Uh, if people are familiar with him, uh, he's got a website at jeffreysachs.org where there's a chronology of what were the events that led to the war. And they actually start uh, after the breakup of the Soviet Union uh, when uh, uh, there was a promise made to Gorbachev that in return for allowing the reunification of Germany, NATO would not advance one inch to the east. Okay, and we see that over the years, there's been several rounds where virtually all the old Warsaw Pact countries are now in NATO. And, uh, and most recently, uh, there's an attempt to bring Ukraine into NATO and, uh, and uh, Georgia is the other one that was a red line for, for Russia. And uh, so um, this effectively is encircling Russia. People remember the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, or if they don't remember the Cuban, if they weren't around then, which is probably true of most of your audience, hopefully, uh, they probably read that in the history books. Well, what we have is, uh, is something that's analogous to us, you know, and Russia is basically being encircled by NATO. Uh, and, uh, and that was kind of the bottom line issue for Russia. I should also mention that uh, uh, there's been several attempts at a negotiated settlement. Uh, the Minsk Accords, people may remember, there were two rounds of that. Uh, and uh, uh, the, um, lately there's been um, revelations that uh, uh, from Angela, Mer Angela Merkel and also um, uh, the French, uh, I think it was Hollande, the former French uh, uh, president, that the, the uh, and, and basically the Minsk Accords would have allowed a, a settlement and a transitional settlement 
to allow some level of autonomy for the breakaway uh, regions within Ukraine and the Donbass and, uh, and, and would have pushed out the, um, uh, the, um, uh, the, the question of contested territories in the Donbass and Crimea. And, uh, and basically it would have been a uh, transition towards a peaceful settlement. And, and actually the good news is that the fighting died down for a period of time. And then uh, largely due to the uh, fact that, and Zelensky in fact ran on the platform of uh, uh, upholding the Minsk Accords and reaching a negotiated settlement with the breakaway regions. And uh, so that was the, the first instance where the, the US and NATO basically blocked an attempt at a negotiated settlement. And there's been several rounds of that since then. Uh, so the war was definitely provoked. And in fact, there definitely are um, people in power uh, who uh, have the agenda. You know, the, the Biden administration in large part, some of the major advisors are neocons. If we take Victoria Nuland and Jake Sullivan, most particularly Anthony Blinken is another one. Um, but basically the, uh, what's emerged over the years is that the objective is not actually uh, democracy uh, for Ukraine or independence or self-determination or, or national sovereignty. It's about weakening Russia. And these statements have been made by Lloyd Austin, uh, who's the Secretary of Defense. There was something that Biden said about, that kind of was walked back about uh, uh, how Putin needs to go, i.e. be removed from power. There's, there's entities like the RAND Corporation that do advising and consulting that have actually a strategy for carving up Russia. Uh, and so in a way, uh, uh, it seems like the U.S. is more interested in a prolonged war where they can weaken Russia by, uh, you know, and the analogies to the Afghanistan war, which resulted in the fall of the Soviet Union. And it's a similar, or was when the war started, a similar aspiration with respect to uh, the Ukraine war, how that, and, and we've here heard like, arguments that, oh, well, this is on the cheap because no American soldiers are dying. It's the Ukrainian soldiers are dying. And uh, and pronouncements like from Lindsey Graham that we're going to fight this war to the last Ukrainian. So uh, so I'd say that's the biggest lie. Uh, there's a slew of others. Uh, I just want to point out a couple of, quote, little lies, you know, which is the Nord Stream pipeline. People will remember that that was uh, blown up uh, actually, there were two pipelines that were blown up, and that was um, that those pipelines were used to uh, transport Russian natural gas to, uh, to to Europe, and most especially Germany. And initially, they, the the lie was that Russia blew up their own pipeline, which made no sense because Russia had no interest in blowing up their own pipeline. Uh, and um, come out in a number of stories. Seymour Hersh had a story about uh, how the U.S. was involved. In, in operation to blow up the pipeline and so on. And then one other little lie, I mean, we could talk all day about the Nord Stream pipeline. One other little lie is if you remember several months ago, there was a missile that hit in Poland, okay? Uh, and it was claimed uh, reflexively and immediately that this was a Russian missile. And it turned out that it was a, a Ukrainian anti-aircraft missile. And uh, and that, that in itself could have sparked of wider war, you know, because Poland is a NATO country, they invoke Article 5, and uh, next thing you know, we're in a, we're in a uh, full-scale war with uh, 
uh, European American troops on the ground and an escalating spiral that could lead to World War Three. So yeah, yeah. big lies and little lies, and and uh, there's a whole list of them, but uh, I won't run through them all because we have limited, limited time. Yeah, um, and uh, do you think most Americans are aware of the danger for nuclear war as a result of of this uh, constant back and forth between the nuclear powers? I mean, do you feel does the uh, Ukraine peace in Ukraine coalition? I think that's one of your messages: is that yeah. any any one of these things can spark a nuclear war. Absolutely, and and uh, no, I, I think that uh, people aren't aware of that by and large. I'd say most especially, uh, uh, I think people that are uh, uh, that maybe were around in the, in the '60s and '70s when nuclear war, uh, and in fact in the '80s there was a major anti-nuclear movement against the placement of uh, American nuclear missiles in in, in Germany. And uh, I think especially the younger generation does not have an awareness of that by and large. Uh, but that's kind of been played down. Uh, now, here and there, you remember that there were weapon systems initially that the U.S. had disapproved, right, providing to Ukraine, uh, including jets and tanks and long-range missiles, everything that they've since agreed to provide. And the reason for that is they didn't want the war to spin out of control. They were worried about it escalating. Uh, but I think, by and large, it isn't part of the consciousness. Of course, the uh, Bulletin of Atomic Scientists says that we're uh, 90 seconds from nuclear Armageddon, according to the doomsday clock, and that the danger of nuclear war is greater than at any point since the Cuban Missile Crisis, and quite possibly including the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, so um, I agree that that's a, that's a, there's not a lot of awareness about that. There's not a lot of awareness about the uh, uh, the cause the causes of the, the current crisis and what led up to it, what the U.S.'s role was in that. So I think that's that we try to emphasize, and the latest way we're formulating that is we have four demands for the global days of action, and the last one says nuclear abolition, not nuclear war, because that danger definitely looms, and uh, you know, and it, honestly, it could be triggered at any time by either you know, intentional or unintentional events. So uh, it's a serious issue. We need to take it seriously. We need to make people aware of it. And we need to stop the war that could trigger uh, that. Yes, and um, very briefly, um, you, you went to a summer conference held in Vienna. Uh, what was yes. the outcomes of the conference and how did that affect your thinking? Okay, great. Thank you very much. Well, first of all, um, um, it was uh, it was a great experience. I found it to be very inspiring. There were people from uh, about 100 peace activists from over 30 countries uh, around the world, and it included not only a lot of people from Europe, but included representatives from countries in Africa. Uh, message uh, the vice president of Bolivia actually attended, uh, and uh, and it was just. Uh, uh, uplifting, I, I should say. Uh, uh, one thing I should mention: there was a battle to actually hold the conference because the uh, uh, first of all, the um, uh, Ukrainian ambassador to Austria came out and said the conference is a fifth column for Putin. That's how he described it, and this is in line with: if you're for peace, 
if you're opposing the war, uh, you must be pro-Putin. So he put that out. And then following that, uh, the Austrian Labor Federation, which was going to provide the venue for the conference, canceled the venue at the last minute. So uh, miraculously, the organizers on the ground in, in, in Vienna were able to find another venue and were able to hold the conference successfully. So that's the first thing. Claire Daly, by the way, people probably know or may know of Claire Daly. If they don't, they should find out about her. She's uh, an Irish uh, uh, representative to the European Parliament, and she's been very adamantly, she's been almost the only voice, one of the very few voices in the European Parliament against war. And she basically said, well, the reason they try to keep the conference what's happening is because they're afraid of it. it does, it's not an indication of our, our weakness. It's an indication of our strength that they're afraid of peace and they just don't want to allow that to be part of the public discussion. So I found it very inspiring. I made a lot of great contacts, people in Italy and Germany, and it's always, I think, uplifting to find that we're part of a bigger movement, you know, and that uh, uh, this is plugs into another lie, I'm sorry, that the whole world is behind Ukraine, okay? If you define the world as the NATO governments, and let's throw in Japan and Australia, and maybe South Korea, a few other countries, you can make that argument. But in fact, uh, the global South, we used to call it the third world, uh, the governments are overwhelmingly trying to uh, advocate for and find a peaceful solution. Uh, and actually their populations make up uh, the majority of people in the world. So, um, so anyway, it was good to see people from the global South there. And I learned a lot and I came back very excited and enthusiastic. And, probably have been operating at 300% of my capacity for the last few months since then. And and the main, actually, in addition to the personal experience, out of the conference came the call for the Global Weeks of Action. Uh, and Great. it was part of the declaration. There's a declaration that you can find up on the Peace and Ukraine website that came out of that. And we tried to keep it fairly concise. We tried to, there was some differences over how much we wanted to highlight NATO's role in promoting the war and so on. But the bottom line, we felt that we could all unite around was a stop the killing, ceasefire, immediate ceasefire, and negotiations to end the war, not endless war. Somehow, we're trying to be convinced that the path to peace is more war, more weapons, more killing. That's not the path to peace. The path to peace is stopping the killing and start talking and try to achieve a peaceful settlement. And so you called for actions from September 30th to October 8th. So let's get to the good stuff. What kind of actions are happening uh, around the country? Yeah. Okay, first of all, uh, at this point, there are, 40, there are actions planned in 42 cities in the U.S. and Canada, which is pretty, uh, and they vary. There's a range of different actions. So. Uh, in some places, like uh, in New York City, there's going to be a march that's focused against the mainstream media and the propaganda that has fueled the war, uh, which Noam Chomsky called manufacturing consent. There's going to be a march from CNN to the New York Times. In uh, in San Francisco, we're organizing an action at BlackRock, which is a, a uh, an equity company that has huge investments in, in military weapons companies. And, uh, and actually, there's a a quote from a recruiter at BlackRock that said, we want the war to continue as long as possible. It's good for business. And BlackRock also is not only making money on all the weapons that are being produced for the war, it's making money on the reconstruction of Ukraine. They talk about $400 billion to reconstruct Ukraine, and BlackRock has been procured 
to consult with the Ukrainian government to, to finance the reconstruction of Ukraine. But the, the, the actions vary. There's a lot of actions that are uh, uh, some kind of presence at a busy intersection, banners and signs, uh, teach-ins in some places. And, and uh, this, the big national actions are in D.C., where there's going to be a, a forum on Wednesday, October 3rd, which will be at 4 p.m. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm Pacific time. 7 p.m. Eastern time. You guys are central? Are we are central, central yes. Okay, so that'll be at... It'll be at uh, five o'clock, uh, Central Time, and actually, oh, it's the other way around. Yeah, it'll be at six o'clock Central Time. I'm sorry. So the event in D.C. is at seven. It's six o'clock in Kansas City. Cornell West will be speaking there, uh, and also Medea Benjamin of Code Pink, uh, De La Cruz of the People's Forum, and Lee Camp, who people may know from the Redacted. He has a podcast. He's a he's a comedian. So. Uh, it's it's a group of speakers and uh, and we, we're really happy to get Cornell West honestly because we think he's a, a tremendous voice for uh, for peace uh, for racial equality for uh, uh, against misogyny uh, uh, social justice and he, you know he's one of the few voices that ever get anywhere that calls out the U.S. Empire and uh, so so we're excited about the event and there's a live stream also. You know, we're trying to get people to come to D.C. for the event. Now, on the following day, there's going to be what's called an advocacy day, where people are going to be, this, the House is not in session, the Senate is still in session, and people are going to be uh, at the Senate Capitol, at the Senate building, they're going to be uh, going to Senate offices, trying to meet with senators, most especially on the Armed, Service Com- Armed Services Committee. As you know, there's a, you know, in addition to the $113 billion U.S. has already provided for the war, uh, Biden is asking for another $24 billion, mostly for weapons and military training. So, uh, and there's a vote that's that coming up that's being linked to the uh, uh, continued funding of the government. And so, and there's a petition that we've circulated that's also up on our website to oppose uh, more, more funding for the war. So uh, that's going to be happening in D.C. People are going to be risking arrest uh, as well. And uh, I'd say stay tuned for what comes out of that event. And um, and I think, honestly, there's been a bunch of press work, which I think is how the connection was made with your radio station. So so that's probably the biggest uh, national action. And uh, I should also say that people should check out our website, peaceinukraine.org. Uh, there's an events page there where you can see all the events that are planned. And you can, one, is you can find an event in your area, which as far as I know, there's not yet one in Kansas City, but you guys are are planning one. we are we're planning yes one. yes awesome awesome mm-hmm. and uh i think here's another important thing if you're against the war you're not a crazy you're not a putin lover you're part of uh you know many people in this country that are concerned about the war and where it's going and the risk it poses to the whole planet uh in addition to the horrible destruction in ukraine and the hundreds of thousands of people that have already been killed so so I think it's just critical that on that day, on during that week, we act in a unified way at whatever our capacity is, at whatever our ability to act is, to call for a ceasefire and diplomacy to end the war and a stop to the weapons transfers and a few in the war for. Well, that's uh, a great summary, Bert. And I'd like to remind everybody, too, the United States is sending cluster bombs to the region there 
uh, cluster bombs are containers for hundreds of small bombs the size of tennis balls, which scatter all over in, in an area larger than a football field. And when the cluster container is detonated, uh, up to 30% 30 30 of the bombs remain unexploded, and many, many civilians and children have died as a result, result of the use of cluster bombs um, in other countries. So um, it's, it's time, like Bert says, to end the, the war. And we sure appreciate you coming on, and um, we will connect with you when we we finalize our plans for our local action here. So thank you so much. So you've been listening to to uh, Chris Mann interview uh, Bert Noor, who's a co-chair of the Peace and Co uh, Ukraine Coalition, and Craig LeBeau is a con at the controls.